So, Tegan, obviously, I'm not going to ask you whether you watched the Republican debate this week, but there is a burning question that I have about your behavior during the debate. <laughs> All right. Did you watch it with your own serving of pudding? <laughs> you know, as I, I was out to dinner with some friends and I said, look, I've got to leave by about 830 to make it back for the debate. And I was really hoping that I could stop at the little convenience store and pick myself up a little pudding pack. Now, do you know what I hope you'd pick up for yourself? Would you also pick up a snack pack of pudding? A spoon. <laughs> I would I would have eaten it with a spoon. But <laughs> unfortunately, the way these things are is I was a little late leaving dinner, <laughs> got home, couldn't stop and get the pudding. So, so you used your finger. Popcorn had to do. Oh, I thought you were going to say, so you use your fingers. No. Oh, okay, so you went with the popcorn. Okay. I went with the popcorn, but, you know, putting fingers, he was on stage right in the center. <laughs> he was He was on stage. Now, you had posted that Trump or people associated with Trump were going to hand out packs of pudding before the debate. Did they actually do that? No, they did. There were photos linked to on Political Wire. There were photos. They A bunch of reporters who were in town for the debate they had dinner with a bunch of political operatives who were also in town. And there were these Trump operatives and the Trump operatives were handing out chocolate pudding snack packs. <laughs> that is awesome. But they did not hand out spoons, I assume. Probably not. But anyway, they did take photos and it was quite funny, I have to say. Yeah, it sounds funny. Okay. Well, maybe we'll get into a little bit deeper discussion about the Republican debate. We won't keep it just at the pudding level. But first, the quick reminder, if you want to send questions for the mailbag, we had that supersized mailbag last week. We got some follow-ups to that, which I don't think we're going to have time to get into today. So we'll have that for next week, most likely. But other emails, questions that come in, others have been coming in, contact Hagen via Political Wire or email me by simply replying to any day's newsletter. Now let's get on with the business of the Republican debate. Some of the reaction. Politico wrote, Vivek, learn how to pronounce his name. It rhymes with cake. So I guess they're saying that his name is pronounced Vivek. Is that right? That is correct. That is wow. what, that's what Nikki Haley referred to him last night. That was my first understanding of how to pronounce his name when she referred to him as Vivek. Okay. Learn how to pronounce his name, Chris, because he's not going away. Unlike in a general election, debates in a primary make it uniquely difficult to stand out because the candidates generally agree on so many issues. Once upon a time, the main way to get attention was to pick a few spots and exaggerate policy differences with rivals. Nowadays, especially in a Republican Party ruled by Trump, you also need to be entertaining. Vivek Ramaswamy has learned both lessons well. He succeeded in turning himself into the main character of the debate especially in the crucial early minutes when the ratings are the highest. That was Politico. G-Zero Media wrote, DeSantis might not be worth attacking. In the lead up to the debate, the DeSantis campaign, currently in second place, said that it expected to be attacked left, right, and center, but that didn't happen at all, highlighting that after a series of recent setbacks, the Florida governor might not be viewed as a serious threat after all. And then there was you. It's hard to imagine a better debate for Donald Trump, you wrote, and he wasn't even there. When the Republican candidates were asked if they would still support Trump, even if he were convicted of the criminal charges against him, all but Chris Christie and Asa Hutchinson raised their hands. And by the way, thank you, Tegan, for the reminder, because I forgot that Asa Hutchinson was even there. 
It's a shocking reality of how these candidates perceive Republican voters. Ron DeSantis needed to outperform expectations, which were already low, and he didn't come close. The other candidates almost entirely ignored him. It's hard to imagine he'll still be in this race by the time Iowa votes. That's a strong statement. We'll follow up on that. Vivek Ramaswamy tried to dominate every exchange by repeating right-wing rhetoric from conservative media back to an audience that consumes only conservative media. But the other candidates obviously see it working, which is why they spent so much time attacking him. It's worth pointing out that both DeSantis and Ramaswamy are weird, you write. That's the main reason why Trump isn't afraid of either of them. So my question, 24 hours later, do you still feel Trump won the debate? Without a doubt. I think that the idea that he didn't show, there's really only a kid's table debate this year. I think it was very smart of him. I mean, he wasn't even mentioned. He was barely attacked. Nikki Haley tried once or twice to attack him, but he was pretty much ignored the entire time. And instead what they did, all of these candidates who are trying to be the alternative to Donald Trump are essentially attacking each other. And, you know, my point about DeSantis and Ramaswamy being weird, they're weird in different ways. DeSantis is weird. First of all, we joke about the pudding fingers, okay? That's weird. Donald Trump knows it's weird. He knows DeSantis is weird. The photo or the little video clip of him forcing a smile after his closing statement was one of the funniest and creepiest videos that I've ever seen. And it's been viewed millions of times already watching DeSantis force this smile because, you know, one of his consultants told him to smile. He's weird. That's why Trump isn't worried about him. Trump makes fun of weird guys. Ramaswamy's different, though. I personally think Ramaswamy's a weird guy. I mean, it was crazy how direct he was and how he interrupted. I mean, he was absolutely wired. And also, I've seen clips of him before, and he's not entirely like that, but he has definitely tried to seize the moment. And he did. And and most of the coverage showed that he did. The reason Trump won't treat Ramaswamy the same way, though, is that Ramaswamy is, of all of the candidates on stage, is by far Trump's biggest defender. And as one reader pointed out when I suggested that he's weird, he says, you know, eight years ago, you would have thought Donald Trump was a little weird too. And I probably did. And he probably is. It's become a little bit normal. And Ramaswamy is likely to do well among those very voters that Trump has courted over all these years. And the idea that Trump had praised for him, the only candidate he really had praised for after the debate, you know, is indicative of that. But from my point of view and from the point of view, I think, of most voters in a general election, they would find Ramaswamy is a little weird and DeSantis is weird and creepy. Hold aside, Vivek. I want to go a little bit deeper into him. And I've got some takes that are a little bit different. Two points. One is you say that Trump won the debate because the debate was filled to kind of paraphrase you with weirdos and others who were slightly less relevant. Although, you know, a couple of people made some fairly strong points. Nikki Haley had her moments. Pence may have had a couple of moments that were relevant to people that align with his type of thinking. But you basically think that Trump won the debate. You characterized it as the kids' table debate. I would characterize it, and I'm not alone in this, as it's the debate for number two. They're all playing the game in case Trump spends too much time having to defend himself or if one of the cases goes bad or if for some other reason he is not able to actually run for office. So take Trump out of it. If you agree with that, that the whole race is really about who can come in second for the possibility that Trump isn't able to run, in that paradigm, who won the debate? 
Well, I don't think you can do that because Trump is, as you know, one of the Fox moderators said last night, he is the big elephant in the room. And even though they chose to ignore him, if Trump were somehow pushed out of this race, the circumstances of him being pushed out, whether that was by his own choice or not, would kind of change the flavor of how all of these candidates would react to him. I'm not so sure that if Donald Trump were actually convicted or some other news came out that forced him out of this race in a kind of disgraced way, I'm not so sure that those candidates, the six of the eight, would have raised their hands when asked, would you still vote for him if he was convicted? I don't think that that would have actually been the same. I think that's safe among Republican voters to do that with Donald Trump still in the race when his supporters are still there and you're still trying to appeal to them. So I think the dynamics would change. So it's hard to say what this debate would look like if Donald Trump wasn't there. I don't think it would have looked the same. I think it would have been different. I agree. And that counterfactual, we don't know it yet. And I guess we will never know it because this first debate occurred while he was still in it. But if he's out, did then Chris Christie or Asa Hutchinson position themselves strongly because they're the ones who didn't raise their hand? Did Nikki Haley position herself strongly because she spoke fairly strongly in a negative way about Trump, but did raise her hand? So she showed that she'll be with the program if pushing comes to shoving, but boy, she would really like to shove him out. Or did uh, Vivek put himself out there or maybe even DeSantis because, okay, if you don't have Trump, then at least you'll have Trump light. I understand that, yes, all of the facts would be different, but the parlor game is, okay, Trump is now out, and given if he's now out, who did second best? Let's run through some of these candidates. I mean, I think Chris Christie and Asa Hutchinson, they're struggling to find their place in today's Republican Party. It's not the Republican Party that they grew up in, so to speak. Mike Pence is another one. He's sort of got a spot in this Republican Party, but because of what he did on January 6th and defied Trump and Trump's wishes, he's not really viewed the same anymore in this party. I mean, when you think about it, it's kind of remarkable that the former vice president of the United States was going uh, toe-to-toe with Vivek Ramaswamy in these exchanges, a guy who's never held elective office before. Kind of a remarkable thing. It made Mike Pence look small. And also, I would say, it kind of justified why Trump didn't show up at this debate, because I think it does make that big elephant look smaller when you've got people like that on the stage next to you. But take those three, Pence, Christie, Hutchinson, there's not really a place for them in today's Republican Party. So I don't think any of them would really be viable. As I wrote after the debate, the more normal candidates in that room were Nikki Haley, Tim Scott, and Doug Burgum, the North Dakota governor. I think they were more normal. I think Tim Scott probably underperformed expectations. I think a lot of people have looked at the money that he's raised. They've looked at the crowds he's got in Iowa. They look at his campaign, which is very professionally run in Iowa. They look at some of his super PAC funding, mainly Larry Ellison, the Oracle CEO. But nonetheless, he's tapped a ton of money to back his bid right here. And I think he underperformed. He spoke probably seven minutes out of the two hours, according to the New York Times tracker. Doug Burgum, who had just blown out his Achilles tendon playing basketball the night before, maybe he was in pain, but he was standing there. He wasn't really much of a factor at all. Nikki Haley, however, I thought she showed herself as one of the most skilled politicians on stage. I thought her answers going toe-to-toe with Ramaswamy on Ukraine and on the need to back Ukraine, particularly because Putin and Russia 
are hostile to American interests. I thought that she was extremely strong on that. I also thought she was somewhat strong in trying to balance this tough position that Republicans are in on the abortion issue. And she had, I thought was a very interesting response. This was a direct exchange with Mike Pence, where Pence says he backs a national abortion ban. And Nikki Haley says, let's not lie to voters. You don't have 60 votes in the Senate for that. We've never had 60 votes in the Senate for that. And we're not going to have 60 votes in the Senate for that. And I thought that was actually refreshingly honest to put that that way. She, you know, she declares herself very much a pro-life candidate, but at the same time, she says, let's not promise something that we know we can't deliver on. So I thought that was kind of interesting. And I thought she did actually a fairly good job in what was a food fight type audience. And then the other thing, look, in contrast, I've, I've said DeSantis and Ramaswamy are somewhat weird. I don't think Nikki Haley's weird. I think if she were on the stage and Donald Trump were not a candidate, I think the Republican Party would be giving her a much closer look than they currently are. What's interesting is that after the debate, almost 24 hours after the debate when we're recording this, Nikki Haley has now gone after Donald Trump fairly hard, saying that he's going to spend more time in a courtroom than he's going to spend on the campaign trail. And she says he's simply the most disliked politician in all of America, and that person can't win a general election. I find that pretty interesting. I find it interesting that she's chosen to take that anti-Trump lane. Pretty much she's taking it away from Chris Christie. She's taking it away from Asa Hutchinson as much as he had a lane. She's going after that side of the party, which is probably not a majority, but it's interesting. And it also probably precludes her from ever being Donald Trump's running mate as well. So it's pretty fascinating that she's going after him so hard. That's fantastic analysis. And your phrasing there at the very end, her not being able to be positioned to be his vice president, I feel like so many of the candidates are running to position themselves for something. In my opinion, example 1A of this is uh, Ramaswamy. He is front and center, you know, supporting Trump on everything imaginable. And I know I've said this before in these conversations. I mean, it just seems like he's running to make himself known and to try to get a position, a seat in Trump's cabinet. Vivek was the most TV wise compelling of the people on the stage. I think that as more of the discussion, more of the analysis has come through, I think that two of the bits of analysis that I've been thinking about and reading about and hearing people talk about, one is the one that you just said about Nikki Haley. So first of all, her handling of Ukraine. I want to talk about Ukraine in a second as one of the policy issues. We should talk about Ukraine. We should talk about abortion. And these are both areas where Nikki Haley made very, very strong differentiated statements. On Ukraine, of course, her takedown of Ramaswamy, which was very well executed, was very much about supporting Ukraine. She also made, as you mentioned, and she had made those comments, her her comments on abortion. She, I think I heard her say these for the first time I had heard them was I think in her CNN interview, whenever that yes. was, it was maybe yes, about- Yes, she did, yes. I've neither attended nor followed closely watching live many Nikki Haley stump speeches since then. But I assume that she's been continuing to hone that message. And she clearly has not gotten a ton of pushback off of it since that CNN presentation. She has stuck with it. So one bit of analysis, I think, is the way that she has, I agree with you. I think that she brought herself, this is an exaggeration, brought herself back from the near dad. She had really been, in my opinion, 
falling a bit in the last several weeks. And last night, I think because of those two things, because of her appearing normal, because of her appearing reasonable, and there's so many things that she did. It's interesting too. She tries to have a lot of things both ways. She's pro-life, but let's be realistic about abortion. Trump is the least popular political candidate in America, she said, something like that. But she also raised her hand. She would vote for him. Even if he's convicted, that's even what I if, find yeah, kind of even amazing. If, even if he's convicted. So I wonder to what extent, at some point, is that her appearing reasonable and understanding, quote, both sides and you know showing that she's not a firebrand? Or does that just show that she's trying to have everything both ways? But one, I think that she helped herself. Two, the initial take on DeSantis, and you wrote, you would not be surprised if he's out of the race by Iowa. You know, you posted the Washington Post 538 Ipsos poll that found that 29% of debate viewers thought that he came out on top, followed by Vivek at 26, Nikki Haley at 15, and Mike Pence at 7%. You quoted from the piece right after that, and this is the part I think is right. The findings may be surprising because DeSantis generally stayed above the fray in a raucous debate, though Ramaswamy received and delivered a lot of barbs. But there was analysis that DeSantis acted in the way that a front runner would act. And of this race for number two, in case Trump goes away, he is, as of right now, that front runner. So while he was not terribly relevant, while he gave weird smiles, maybe what he did was what he should have done. And maybe he ended up doing better than it immediately appeared. So Those are my two first level takeaways. It appears that Nikki Haley was in some ways a big winner, and maybe DeSantis was less bad than it immediately seemed after the event. Well, it is interesting. And I got to say, I'm probably not the only person that was surprised by that poll. And granted, it's one poll and it's a little bit imperfect. It was a poll done of the same group of voters on consecutive days. So there might have been some methodological problems there, but let's take it for what it was. Let's assume that people thought the two people who came out on top were DeSantis and Ramaswamy. Your point is an interesting one, though. If he was running as a front runner in this debate, well, that's an interesting strategy. There's a big problem with that strategy is he's running 40 points behind the real front runner. If that's what he's trying to do, maybe that helps him at the kids' table. He can be president of the kids' table, but he's not going to become president of the United States because there's another guy who is way, way ahead of him in terms of his support among Republican voters. I just don't see DeSantis doing anything to keep himself locked in that position as that true alternative. In fact, after last night, and this is one of these things that is so predictable, Ramaswamy, just because he was in the fray, he was, quote, acting tough and Quite frankly, you know, as I texted to you last night while we were watching, he was an asshole. And, you know, there's something about this new era of politics where being an asshole gets you a certain percentage of the vote. So I wouldn't be surprised if Ramaswamy all of a sudden is vying with DeSantis to be the top candidate. And who knows, we might see Nikki Haley get boosted as well, you know, as she takes some of the support away from people like Chris Christie, Asa Hutchinson, and maybe even Mike Pence. You could actually see this kids table shrink down from eight candidates. I think only six have now qualified so far for the second debate, which is at the end of September taken down at the end of that debate, assuming Trump doesn't show up, to maybe just three or four candidates after that. Then maybe we'll have a different discussion about that right now. That's looking pretty far ahead. I just don't buy the poll that somehow DeSantis did well. I don't see how he 
increased his support among Republican voters at this point relative to some of these other ones. I mean, there might be some people looking at Ramaswamy and not taking him seriously. I don't take him seriously. To me, he's worse than looking at Andrew Yang and the Democratic Party four years ago. He is just not a serious candidate. And as you said, he's obviously running for something, maybe for Trump's cabinet or something like that. But maybe he's running like Nikki Haley is for 2028. Maybe they've already made those calculations that Donald Trump's going to win this nomination and that neither Haley or Ramaswamy or DeSantis are ever going to be his running mate. Someone like Tim Scott could, but those three are never going to be Trump's running mate. And so maybe they're already running for 2028. It's funny that you make the Andrew Yang comparison. I was thinking to myself during the debate how on some level Ramaswamy is the Andrew Yang, you know, tech background, outsider, young, positioning himself as the new, quote, rational, as defined within each party, voice of the new, young, technocratic generation. And yet, how different their styles are. Andrew Yang, strong guy, but you know, was not jerky. You know, I was thinking to myself how different they are. But then I ended up feeling like, wait a minute, maybe the one from the 2020 Democratic field that Ramaswamy is more akin to isn't Yang, but is Buttigieg, the young yeah. person running and potentially getting himself a seat on the cabinet. Yeah, that's interesting because, you know, Buttigieg as well, you know, the mayor of the fourth largest city in Indiana wasn't exactly, yes. did not exactly have the experience either yet managed to become transportation secretary. So I, I do like that analogy. I think that's probably more appropriate for him. The thing, though, about, as I said, Ramaswamy, he was not only a jerk, but he was an asshole. He wasn't an asshole like Chris Christie's an asshole. Maybe it's because I'm from the New York area and Chris Christie is more of a New York asshole and I'm more familiar with them. Wait, by the way, I think you've hit your quota. Yeah, this is a family friendly podcast. I know, Chris, but, you know, sometimes you just got to call it as it is. Chris Christie, that's the way he is. And he's almost, he's expected to be like that. Maybe it's because most of us don't really know Ramaswamy, but he came off as an unlikable jerk. Apparently that's popular in the Republican party right now. And Donald Trump proved that there's a lot of votes for being an unlikable jerk. Somehow that's likable. That gets translated into likable. I think it would be very scary if he were somehow a major party presidential nominee, but who knows? We're in a different world. I find him insufferable. So two points off of what you just said. One is two of your posts completely captured this dichotomy that you're describing. You posted earlier this morning on Thursday, a piece titled Ramaswamy Steals the Show. And then just about an hour later, you posted a piece titled Everyone Hates Vivek Ramaswamy. So within like 60, 90 minutes, you captured both sides. On the one hand, a lot of people felt he stole the show. And on the other hand, a lot of people felt he was a big jerk. I think this ties back to the Pence question and to the who actually fits into the Republican Party today. I thought that Pence was doing his very, very best attempt at a Ronald Reagan impression. Somebody said something about, you might think it's morning in America again. Wasn't it? Yeah, it was, it was Ramaswamy. Ramaswamy, yeah. Yeah, said that to Pence, but it's not. And it's a really dark time or it's that, you know, we're on the abyss. I forget exactly what he said. 
And the two of them, I thought, really showed what used to be the Republican Party and what, you know, some people, I think Republicans who would like to remember that and are wishing that that's what today's Republican Party is. And then the question of, is it really that? And it likely is not as Ramaswamy or Donald Trump is making me think of his inaugural speech and then George W. Bush's reaction to uh, um, to the speech where I think, didn't he say that was some... Uh, he leaned into Hillary Clinton and said, that was some weird shit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I texted you Kyle Kondik's tweet from last night. The Pence-Ramaswamy exchanges are really interesting from a GOP generational perspective. Pence is basically echoing Reagan. Ramaswamy is Trumpy, quote, American carnage. I thought that was a great tweet, great analysis. Well, I don't know about you, Chris, if I had to choose, if those were the two choices, I prefer Morning in America than I do American Carnage. It's just, maybe I'm more optimistic. Two issues, policy points. Um, We've talked quickly about one of them, Ukraine. A point on that. Punchbowl News wrote, because presidential candidates campaign in fantasy and govern in reality. Remember when Trump said he would have Mexico pay for the wall on the southern border? We thought we'd give the debaters a reality check on Ukraine. Just two candidates on stage, Florida Governor Ron DeSantis and entrepreneur Vivek Ramaswamy, said they would not approve additional funding for Ukraine. As of this moment, cutting off money to Ukraine doesn't have requisite support in Congress. But as we've chronicled, GOP skepticism of Ukraine is building. What role does Ukraine play in this Republican campaign? One of these issues that's divided the party, you know, you've got Mike Pence on one side, Chris Christie on the same side, and then you've got Ramaswamy and DeSantis on the other. And it's a major dividing line. How ironic that it took place on the same day that Yegevni Perosian's plane goes down, almost certainly, according to U.S. intelligence, in an assassination plot to kill the mercenary leader. And that Vladimir Putin essentially took credit for it without taking credit for it today. I mean, it was remarkable. I mean, you've got this dictator waging a war in Europe at this point, and you have a Republican party completely divided. And also how interesting is it that the next Republican debate will be held at the Ronald Reagan Library in California? I mean, Reagan would just be dumbfounded if he heard members of his own party not trying to go hard after Vladimir Putin right now. And it's really one of these issues, one of the few issues where in Congress, you actually have bipartisan majorities in support of funding Ukraine in this effort. There's not a lot of things that Mitch McConnell and Chuck Schumer agree on, but on the Republican stage, there's clear divides there. So it is it is a battle. I mean, these debates are interesting in that way. There is a battle still going on for the soul of the Republican Party, so to speak. And there are some major policy issues here which are not being decided. Very fascinating, particularly with Donald Trump not at that debate. It would be interesting to hear what Donald Trump said in the context of that fight that was going on between Ramaswamy and Pence or between Nikki Haley and Ramaswamy. It'd be very interesting to see how Donald Trump weighed in. We know the predictable parts, which is Putin would never have invaded Ukraine if I was still president, that type of thing. But it'd be very interesting to see what he would actually say, particularly on a day where Putin essentially murdered somebody who had wronged him. Pretty interesting. And the fact that you're saying it would be interesting to hear what he would say, I take that to mean that you haven't watched any of the playback of the 
Trump Tucker Carlson interview, which if you haven't, um, according to the Truth Social post that you texted me, you know, you're one of the only people in America who didn't see it because apparently it's gotten, as of this recording, pushing 275 million views. That's according to Donald Trump. I mean, um, to be fair, Chris, he, uh, Donald Trump did have 275 million people as inauguration. I mean, Sean Spicer said it was the biggest inauguration ever. So, Well, matched only the biggest inauguration ever, only now by the biggest interview ever on social media. I don't want to cut the conversation short, but there is one thing I've got to do, which is I've got to go make more popcorn. You know what's on TV tonight? No. What? Donald Trump is turning himself in at 7.30 tonight. More popcorn for Tegan. And while you're at it, why don't you grab yourself some pudding too? <laughs> you too, Chris. And don't forget the spoon. I'll bring the spoon. Talk to you later, Tegan. Bye, Chris. Bye.